Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. I'm doing something I have not done in a very long time. And uh, I think it's been since episode five. That's just me going off of recollection, actually. I... I'm actually recording from my hotel room today in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I think the last time I recorded from a hotel was episode five. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. This is almost two years ago when I was headlining a comedy event at Stardom Comedy Club there. And I remember sitting in that room and I think some people were making noise out in the hall and, and doors were slamming and stuff and it was kind of aggravating. But, dude, I'm at the Hilton. I'm in... Uh, I'm almost at the penthouse. There's nobody else on this floor, so hopefully there won't be any distractions. Um, wow, I took two days to to drive here. I, you know, I've been talking about flying recently and how much I, I dislike flying and how I do not like sitting in airports. I do not like sitting on planes anymore. Sitting there on the runway, taxiing for what seems to be an hour just to get to the gate. And then you have to wait and all these idiots get up. Every time the plane stops when you pull up to a gate, everybody on the plane jumps to their feet. And now everybody just stands there for like 30 minutes. It's it. I just, people drive me crazy. So I decided to drive. And I took some time and I thought about a lot of things. I don't know if I'm going to get into all of those thoughts here because it's just so many thoughts that I have obviously over, over the course of it. 18 hour drive, but I'm going to tell you, if you've never just went on a long ass drive, you know, it cracks me up because a lot of people, they're like, man, if they have to drive two hours or three hours somewhere, they think that that's far. And I laugh because, you know, I've been in the comedy world for, you know, 15 years, although in two days I'll do my last show ever, but we'll talk about that in a second. I've driven across this country 15 times or, or more and you know, an eight hour drive to me at anything, that's just another day in the office. But I would highly encourage you to take a day and go for a drive just by yourself, you and your thoughts. And don't even, you don't even have to pick a destination. I've done this before. I've gotten in the car in the middle of the night before after, uh, I've had, I've had dreams, nightmares, and there were times where I was too too afraid to go back to sleep. So I got I got in my car and I just drove. And I ended up three hours away from my house on multiple occasions. This is a long time ago. But I would just find just get on the road and just travel. And you can you can clear a lot of things up that way. Uh, I'm not saying you can find the answers, but man, it can give you a little bit of a little bit of clarity when you're just out on the road. And so 
the first day I, I drove 10, 10 and a half hours and I stopped and I stayed the night in Paducah, Kentucky. Ask me what's in Paducah, Kentucky. Nothing. There's nothing there. And then I got in the car the next day and I drove into Des Moines and I've been here for two days and my, my event is tonight, post-traumatic purpose. We, uh, we have an event here tonight. Um, and then it's off to Indiana and I'll be in Greenwood, Indiana, and then it's off to Beaver Creek, Ohio. I just, I just went a, a very long way, almost three, four minutes into this podcast to get to one simple point. Watch how you talk to yourself. I think it's really important that what you think of yourself and the things you say about yourself can be detrimental to you. I know for me, um, for the longest time, I didn't realize the things that I would even say out loud to myself, just as even just the little things, how over time they would, they would add up and really make me feel a certain way. It just became habitual to say negative things and feel negative, uh, have negative thoughts and feelings about myself. Um, there was a, there was a period of time for many years, I felt like a bad man. And I, uh, and I think we've talked about that before. I just didn't feel like a good person and it wasn't out there doing anything wrong. I just, I don't, I felt so numb and just dead to everything. I just didn't feel like I was a good person to be around. And in doing so, I would say little things about myself when I was working on something and I would break, or if I would break something when I was trying something like, like if I were at my farm, um, and I cut a piece of wood and I cut it too short or the measurement was wrong. I, I would say things like you stupid motherfucker. You're so, why do you even do this? You're so fucking dumb. I would verbalize that stuff. And in my mind, what I was doing was motivating myself. How I justified that was, well, this is just my way of motivating myself to, to, to do it better next time. And what I realized over time is I was verbally abusive to myself. Imagine if you said those things to another human being, right? If you were in a relationship with someone and you talked to someone that way over time, if anybody found out, obviously you would be in a verbally abusive relationship. And over time, that person might start really believing those things. Well, why is it any different when we talk about ourselves or we treat ourselves badly? It's not we really start believing the thoughts in our head, the things that we say about ourselves. And I ask myself, would I ever let another human being say the things to me that I've said to myself? And I didn't have to give it a second thought. No, absolutely not. I'd never let somebody talk to me the way that I've talked to me. So why is it okay? It's not. Why am I telling you this? Because I think in order to really start loving yourself, you have to believe in yourself. You have to say good things about yourself. You have to have good thoughts about yourself. And if you don't, you're never truly going to love yourself. I always tell people when you're trying to change behavioral traits, you have to physically and mentally, I don't physically think about something, never mind. You have to literally think about the trait that you want to fix. You're never fix your behavior if you don't recognize the poor behavior that you're displaying, right? Like case in point, 
if you're a fingernail biter and it's just habit for you to bite your fingernails, every time you, you just want to bite your nails, you just go and bite your fingernails. Well, if you stop the next time you go to bite your fingernails, you stop and say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And you put your hands down. You have to have a, a thought about what you are actually doing. And then you have to correct it. And that's how you correct behavioral characteristics or negative behavioral traits. And so I guess I'm telling you this because the other morning I got up at three o'clock in the morning uh, before I started my road trip. And last week, I don't remember what day it was. I think it was Tuesday morning. But I got up and I was making coffee and I was making oatmeal and I had my water sitting there and I spilled my water. Okay. And it went all over the counter, all over the floor. By this time, it's 3.30 in the morning. And I went to verbalize, you stupid motherfucker. And I stopped. And I stopped and I didn't say it. I know what I wanted to say, but I stopped it. And I actually sat there and I said, if I said this, I'm going to believe it. And that has been my problem for so long. I've always believed the things that I would say about myself. And I want you to know that if you have those same thoughts and those feelings, because what I realized when I started doing mental health was this, I'm not the only one. I know there's a lot of you out there listening who do the same exact thing. And the more like the books that I've sold, the, the, um, the podcasts I've recorded, the speeches that I've given, people always come up and tell me one thing. Well, they tell me a lot of things, but one thing always sticks out. They always tell me that they thought they were the only one that did this, that said things like this. And I thought the same thing before I wrote that book, create your own light. It was hard for me to publish that book because honestly it was embarrassing. I was revealing a lot about myself in that book to the world. And I thought I was the only one Well, come to find out No, not even close, not even close to being the only one. I really want you, I want to challenge you. And my challenge is this. I want you to take 10 seconds out of your day. When you have some alone time, and I want you to look dead in the mirror, and I want you to say good things about yourself, and I want you to understand those things that you're saying are true. You really have to believe in those things. You may have faults, but we all do. It doesn't matter how many faults we have, but there are also good traits about yourself, and the only way to start loving yourself and to really believe it in yourself is to believe in yourself. I can't tell you what to say. I remember in the Marine Corps, they would do this thing sometimes where you would you would have to look in the mirror and yell, I'm not crazy, you are. I'm not crazy, you are. I'm not crazy, you are. Well, what do you think that does to, to a young man's mind over time when you start looking in the mirror, start saying negative things about your reflection in the mirror? You start believing it. So I want to challenge you to go into the mirror and say some good things about yourself. It may be uncomfortable. But it is what it is. You got to start loving yourself if you ever want to move forward and start feeling better with your mental health. It goes back it goes back to that old saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I certainly exercised that um the other day when I wanted to say something bad about myself and you don't realize in the time, you don't realize how detrimental that really is to your mental wellness. 
when you say things about yourself because you're used to saying things about yourself, it's just habitual. But the next time you go to do it, you have to stop. You have to stop. I'm really excited about um, about my daughter taking jiu-jitsu. And I don't, I've never believed in karate. Uh, when I grew up, when I, was, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, karate was, was kind of like a thing. I guess it still is. But even as a kid, I thought that was dumb because I, I saw kids that knew karate get their ass beat many times. I don't think I've ever seen a kid that knew karate actually win in a real street fight or a country fight, whatever you want to say, because every physical altercation I've ever seen, and especially, you know, in the Marines and in law enforcement and all this, and I've been in many myself, they all end up in one place. Most of them end up on the ground, 90% of them, if not higher than that, they end up on the ground and people wrestling around until somebody comes and breaks it up. Well, when jujitsu came about, I never gave it a second thought. I didn't think about it. I didn't want to get involved with it. But the more the more popular it gets, I, I start paying attention to it. Well, one of our daughter's friends, a uh, little girl, she's eight. She takes jujitsu, and she would come over to the house, and I would ask her. I'd say her name. I won't say her name on here, but I'd say, "Hey, did you you choke anybody out today?" And she's like, "Maybe a few." And it was just so cute. And I was thinking, I was like, "Man, this little girl can handle herself. This is great. I want to go check it out." So I took my oldest daughter, who's eight, I took her to jiu-jitsu with her friend, and within three seconds, my, my daughter's like, Daddy, I, w- I want to fight. I want to get in there and do it. And it's like, all right, I'll sign you up. And so we've been we've been doing it for about a month now, and she loves it. And I go in there, and I watch these, um, I watch these coaches with, with these kids, and it's amazing because I also – my daughters also play basketball and play soccer and all this stuff. And I watch the rec department coaches, all the volunteer coaches. I watch how different they are as opposed to when I was younger. See, when I was younger, um, they coaches still coach really hard. Well, now it's that everybody gets a trophy, patty cake. I don't really like it, but I take my girls out there so they can get the experience of doing it. People have asked me, like, Travis, why don't you coach? And I was like, because I'd be way too hard on these kids. Um, and I'd have a problem with the parents. And the second one of the parents stood up because I was being hard on their kid. I don't know that I'd want to be put myself in that situation. So I just stay back on the sidelines. I watch my girls. I coach my girls. Um, but this jujitsu stuff is no joke. These coaches, they don't bullshit. They punish them when they're talking. They punish them if they're not paying attention. And I'm over there like, yeah, get some. I mean, they're making them do push-ups. They're making them do burpees. They do all kinds of stuff. And I watch these little these little girls specifically. They they go up against boys. And the reason I like that is because they're not intimidated. None of the girls in that class, when they have to spar against a boy, they don't look around. They don't look shaken. They look aggressive. They look like they are ready to fucking lay it down. And I can't think of a better confidence builder than that. Because I'll tell you this, when I was when I was um when my girls are playing soccer, they played with boys. And I do remember some of the girls sometimes they would they would complain like there's too many boys, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger and all this. And that would get into their head. They would defeat themselves by their own thoughts goes back to what we were talking about earlier anything you start thinking you will believe well when i went to jiu-jitsu these girls were so confident that man it was 
it was electrifying to watch. I, 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 all of a sudden I started watching all the girls that were fighting the boys. I watched this eight year old girl choke out a boy who was bigger than her, faster than her, stronger than her, older than her. And she did it because she was confident in her skill set. And when I saw that, I was blown away. And there's, there's other girls in this class. They're like, I mean, they're like spider monkeys. They are all over these dudes and they wrap them up. And I'm watching these guys tap out left and right. And I couldn't think as a father raising two girls, what a, what a wonderful thing to do, you know, to, to build that confidence, to see yourself as equal and not see yourself beneath another like a human being. And, and I absolutely love it. And, I, and I'm thrilled to death that my oldest daughter wants to do that. Uh, my youngest one has no interest in it, but we'll see. After her older sister starts choking her out about six or seven times a week, maybe she'll start doing it. Who knows? We talk about quitting a lot in my family because I don't, I don't, I don't like the thought of my kids ever thinking it's okay to quit something. Um, I remember... When I played little league football, I, I write about one one speech my father gave me after uh, practice one day with a kid named Jody Green. I had I swear I ha- I'm sure I had concussions, uh, but back then they just weren't di- diagnosed. Um, but Jody was hitting me really hard and in practice, and our helmets weren't that great back then. And I, I was dizzy. I mean, I was I was hurting. I was in a lot of pain. And I remember telling my dad in little league that I wanted to quit playing football because I was tired of feeling this way. And I'll never forget what my father told me. My father told me, he's, he said, you know, go get your pads and your helmet. I'll take them to the coach tomorrow. But I want you to understand this. If you quit yourself right now, you are setting the stage to quit everything else in your life that gets hard or difficult. And that that was the point in my life where I decided I was never going to quit anything. Um. That I mean, that was it. It was, I couldn't have been any more than eight or nine years old, maybe 10 at tops, but I never quit anything else again in my life because of that. And I thought about that and I think about it every time something gets hard, every time something gets difficult and and I don't want to go on anymore. I think about that and I'm like, well, all it takes is once all it takes is you telling yourself it's okay to quit this one time. And the second you do, you'll quit. I remember in the Marine Corps, we had uh, what we call humps. And that's what we call them in the Marine Corps. Uh, that's where you put on 100-something pounds worth of y'all, all your gear, your weapons, your ammunition. And we go on these long-ass walks. And you walk fast. And it's <clears throat> they do McCress humps. They're like 26 miles, something like that. And then you do patrols through the woods, all kinds of crazy shit. But especially on humps, you would watch other Marines sometimes. They'd fall back. And one of our things in the Marines is we don't fall back. We always press forward, right? And it was a pride that no matter how much pain you were in, that you never slowed down and you never started falling back. And you never wanted to fall out of a hump and be put on like a transport unit because, one, you would be labeled as a pussy and people would start thinking they couldn't depend on you because you were weak. Um, But I, I never fell back as much as I wanted to sometimes. I always I would go back to that as a kid with my father and I would think about if you if you fall back this one time it's going to become acceptable in your mind and you're going to fall back every time you get uncomfortable and that always kept me pressing forward. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this because 
my other daughter who doesn't do jujitsu was playing soccer a couple weeks ago and she started slacking on the field and I, I don't do well with that. Um, so I pulled her to the side of the field and I had a talk with her and she told me she didn't want to be there anymore. She didn't want to play. And I made her, I said, listen, I said, if you don't want to play anymore, we just won't sign you up next year. I said, but you're going to honor the commitment of being here now. And you're not just going to exist. You're going to give it everything you got. No matter what you do, you're going to give it 100%. And I said, because if you start failing yourself now, you're going to accept that. And that's going to become normal. And she got her little button gear and she went out there and she played. You know, and it, it's now that father thing has come full circle. But I have to constantly remind myself of that. And I want to remind a lot of you out there, people are watching you. Kids are watching you. This thing in mental health is the hardest thing in life I've ever faced. It is the most difficult. I stumble. I fall down. I make mistakes. I make embarrassing mistakes. But one thing I never do is quit. And you got to understand that too. No matter what you go through, they are watching you. And they will see you become resilient. If you let them see you on a couch, popping pills, being drunk because you're drinking your problems away, not only are you showing them that you can't become resilient, you're showing them the blueprint for what they need to do if, heaven forbid, they find themselves in a mental condition later in life like you may be in. And those chances are pretty high. Because it's called secondary trauma exposure, which we've talked about in other episodes. You can affect your family with everything you go through in life. And you can turn them into something unintentionally by just being you. So why not be the best version of yourself? Why not create an example of who to be when times get hard? When times get tough, who are we? What's your last, what's your last name? What's your family name? Set an example to your children. Set an example to your spouse. Like, this is who we are. We get kicked in the nuts, but we don't feel sorry for ourselves. We still make the most of it. I'm going to tell you right now, from a guy, I've had many of hard days where I do not want to get up. I do not want to get off the couch. I do not want to get out of bed. But you have to. You, what choice do you have? People are watching you. You're setting the stage for what your children may become. And you have to ask yourself these questions. And I think a lot of times if we just ask ourselves the right questions, it'll change our behavior. When you look in the mirror and you say, do I want my kids to become me? And if that answer is no, then you're not doing something right. You know, most, most parents, we want our children to become better than we are. So what examples are you setting for your children. I get this, man, I get it all the time. I'm, I'm constantly on the phone with multiple people from around the country. I talk to men. I talk to women from around the country all the time, especially when I'm out on the road. When you got 18 hours of driving to do, you got phone calls to make. And you check in on people, especially people that you know are struggling. And I got into a conversation with someone the other day, and they told me recently that well, they apologized. They said, I, I, I'm, I want to apologize for lying to you. And I was like, about what? And he said, the last time we spoke, I was, I told you that I was actually consoling a coworker that's been going through 
some mental health problems. And I was over there for several hours and she was drunk and blah, 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 blah. Well, the truth is that person was me. And turns out this person was consoling herself. And she felt the need to tell me that it, it was somebody else. And she, that need was out of embarrassment because we still feel like we're not allowed to show vulnerability. And I told her, I was like, look, you don't have anything to apologize about, but you can't lie to yourself like that. You didn't lie to me. You lied to yourself. And she continued talking about you every once in a while having a drink and this and that when she starts feeling a certain way. And I was like, well, let me ask you this. When you, when you drink that alcohol, what does it do to you? And she says, well, it numbs me. It numbs me to everything I was feeling. I go, okay. And what's the after effect of that? And she, she's like, she didn't know how to answer. And I said, well, I'm gonna tell you what it does. It numbs it temporarily. And when I say temporarily, I'm talking about for a couple of drinks, what that alcohol does after those couple of drinks, it brings everything right to the surface. It only makes it worse. There's not a person out there who has mental health problems, who can drink alcohol and it puts them in a better place. It's a fucking crutch. And I'm not here to preach AA. I decided like 11 years ago to never drink again. And I put it down. People ask me how I did that. And I tell them this. I used to love the drink. I come from the Marines. I was, a, I was a cop. I was a firefighter. What do you think we did for recreation? That's all we did is we would get fucked up. We'd have, we'd get drunk. We'd have a good time. And that was it. But at some point when I knew I wanted to get better, I looked at the biggest hurdle in my life. I go, what is the biggest hurdle that I can physically take charge, take charge of right now in my life? What's something that I can change? And when I started looking at the, the roadmap to mental stability, alcohol kept jumping out at me, the substance abuse. And as much as I didn't want to quit because I really enjoyed it, it was fun. I was good time Travis. I thought about, I said, what, what benefits does alcohol bring to my life? And you know how many I could come up with? None. I couldn't come up with one benefit. There was no plus to it. What it is, is I was constantly surrounded by people who, who consume alcohol. And so I just did it because they do it. And I didn't want to think about being the person that, that said no and didn't drink when everybody else is drinking. And then after a while, that's kind of what happened. People would, they'd start calling you out when it's like, when, well, you're not drinking and no. And I, I had multiple dudes call me a pussy. They're like, what are you a pussy? And I'm sitting here at 30 years old. I'm like, you're sitting here calling a grown man a pussy for not having a drink. Like, what sense does that make? How stupid and immature are you? You know, to think that way. And then I realized, I was like, damn, I probably thought the same thing about people and would say the same thing about people. And then I started realizing how immature that drinking was making me. And if I wanted to grow as a man and really grow beyond where I was, I had to put the one thing down that I could control. Now, I also talk to people, well, it's a, it's a habit. I'm a, I can't quit. And I was like, you, you can't quit because you tell yourself you can't quit. You can. You could do anything in this world. And I know that sounds cliche. I know we've all heard that. And we've been told that since we were little. But I'm telling you right now, as a dude who has experienced many things in life, 
anything you want to do, you can. You can accomplish anything that you want. So if you want to stop drinking and you want to be a better person, I've had so many people tell me, dude, I know I need to stop for not just for me, but for my family, but I can't, I can't, I can't quit. If you stop worrying what other people think about you, that's a, that's another big one. If you just stop worrying about what everybody thinks about you, you'd be surprised at the power that you have over yourself. It's hard work, man. It's hard work to admit that you want to be better than what you are. It's hard to admit that you're not the best version of yourself because what you're what you're inadvertently telling yourself is you have flaws. And that's not easy, man, because most people most people love to point out everybody else's flaws. It makes them feel better. But when you actually have to sit there and work on your own flaws, man, that that's hard work. And that's something that I think so many people have gotten away from is hard work. Um, I think we've gotten, we're so lazy as cult, as a culture now that we just want everything to come easy. We want to take a magic pill to make all the pain and the hurt go away. And I want to take this pill and tonight when I go to bed and then tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be the best version of me. I'll be the happy version of me. But what are you without that pill? You know? What are you when those pills run out? So, do you got to put in the hard work? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever been handed anything that I was proud of. You know, nobody's ever given me anything that I've ever like set back and like, man, I'm so proud of this. I don't know if that even makes sense. I'll tell you what I have been proud of though. Everything that I've fucking bled sweated for and earned through hard work. I've always been really proud of that because I did that. I made that happen. Um, one of the coolest things in the Marine Corps that they, they teach you is like, once you earn that title of United States Marine, nobody can take that away from you ever, no matter what, once you earn it, you earn it. It's yours. And that may not mean a lot to people outside of that. And maybe you wouldn't understand that. But to us, it means something. That's why we are so proud. We are such a, a, a proud group. Arrogant as fuck, but very proud. I want to talk about hard work in a different sense, though. I want to talk about, well, I'll tell you one thing that, that hurts me is when I see people working really hard in life. And I mean working, like I'm talking actual work that they do to earn income for them and their family. And their whole life turns into work. See, I grew up watching men work really hard. I grew up, everybody around us knew hard work. But I'll be honest with you. For most people, hard work only gets you more hard work. There's a... I'm not... (laughs) It's hard to find the right words, but I believe in smart, hard work. Let's, let's, let's phrase it that way. What irritates me is like when I, the other day I was, I I was passing a gas station and I saw a young man out there. He was sweeping up around all the pumps. He was changing the trash. It was cold outside and the young man was working hard 
and I did like a because I'm a deep thinker. I did it. I did like a a snapshot of that that young man when I drove by, and I go, you know what? If he works hard his whole life, and he never changes his thought process, and he keeps doing what he's doing, what's going to happen is he may not be taking the trash out of that gas station. He may be the guy in the gas station telling the other guy to take the trash out. But at the end of the day, he's still working for somebody else. He's still punching some other man's clock and his life will be spent in that gas station. He'll sue 30 years of his life working hard his whole life and have nothing at the end of it to show for it other than I wish I would have done something different. And I talk, I, I talk about this all the time. I don't knock anybody for what they choose to do for work. That's not, so don't take that from this message. What I knock people for is regretting to take a fucking chance on themselves in life. I know so many people that when they get to a certain age, and I've heard this from countless people, I can speak from a, a, a place of I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Trust me. I've heard too many people that I know regret their decisions in life and they say, I wish I could go back and do it differently, but it's too late. And I wish I would have taken more risks. And I wish I would have tried this. I wish I would have tried that. And the only thing that stood in their way was them. That was it. That's it. What I'm getting back at is you can be the gas station worker taking the trash out and all of that, right? But if you accept that that's all you're ever going to be, then that's all you will be. But if you know in your heart that you can rise above that and do other things in life, then just maybe when you look back on life, you'll say, you know what? I did have a hard job. And I used it as a stepping stone and I learned from it and I took my experiences from that and I turned it into this. And then I took my experiences from that and I turned it into this and turned it into that. And why do I tell you this? I've done a lot of things in my life. I am not the roadmap, obviously, to success. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not sitting here saying I'm successful by any means. I tell you this, I'm happy. I'm 44 years old. I don't punch anybody's clock. And I'm happy with who I am as a man when it comes to the decisions I've made in life. I used to have people break my balls all the time. They're like, dude, you've done so many things. You can't keep a job. Yeah, that's right. No, I don't keep the same fucking career my whole life because life is about experiences to me. I What I do is I learn different skill sets from different careers and I go on to forge my own path to do what I'm meant to do as a human being. And I want to motivate other people to do that. I don't know how to how to really how to do that. But one of the things I want to do in, in, in this life, cause I'm always trying to find, you know, things that interest me. That's part about the second book that I'm writing. Part of it is going to be about how a kid from a trailer park could go on and do something productive and not end up where on paper he was supposed to end up. If that makes sense. Um, I want to show people you are not your circumstances. You can rise above any circumstance in your life. It all starts with belief in yourself. When everybody else doesn't give you that, when nobody else believes you. I didn't, I, yeah, I talk openly about my education level. 
um, where a lot of people, I don't feel like they would out of fear of embarrassment. It's obvious I'm not an educated man. I don't speak the King's English. I remember I dated a girl one time that her father was an extremely educated man. So was her mother and her mother pulled me to the side and told me, you need to learn how to speak the King's English when you talk to her father. That, that was a real conversation. And I remember being like so embarrassed that I didn't even know how to respond to that. Cause essentially she called me, you know, a dumbass. And the way that I responded, because I hadn't met her father at, at, at that point yet, but I was, I was supposed to meet him soon. Well, the way that I responded was this, <laughs> I bit my tongue and I went to her house. They had a Kentucky, Kentucky Derby party at their house. They were all fancy. They were all wearing hats and dresses and all this and walking around with champagne flutes. And my sorry ass did the only thing I know how to do. And that's be myself. And I showed up and tore up jeans, boots, and a t-shirt. And I was drinking beer out of a fucking biggest beer mug that I could possibly find. With old dirty hat on. And that's who I was. And that's that's how I met her father for the Kentucky Derby. And he was definitely perturbed by my presence. So that relationship didn't last. But what I'm getting at is I've had moments in life where people have made me feel Like I can't become anything that I can't do anything. I've had people knock me for switching professions and that's fine. It's, um, they say most people have, you know, three to five careers, whatever. I've had 150 of them things. I've, I've, I've always believed in myself whenever something interests me and I go and I give it 110% and I do the best that I can until I get tired of it. And then I'll find something else to do. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, I think it helps round me out. You know, um, I wanted to be a firefighter for the rest of my life. Um, eight years into it, I was hurt and I was told I could no longer be a firefighter, but on the side of being a firefighter, I was doing all kinds of stuff, man. I was, uh, I had a full-time limousine company that I was running. I did some other side hustles because I wanted to not just be a firefighter. I wanted to do all these other things. I guess I'm getting long winded here, but I get, I get really upset when I hear people bitch about how much money they make, I, I get really upset when I bitch about when I hear people bitch about how much they have to work for how little they earn. Because when I hear that, all I hear is, well, I, I can't do any better. And these people aren't paying me what I think I'm worth. Then why aren't you getting what you're worth? That's the first thought I have in my mind. Why are you working for someone where you're miserable? And secondly, why are you not earning your worth? And it's always an excuse. If you ask somebody that, if you ask them, say, hey, look, let's have have an open, honest conversation. When they tell you they're miserable with their life, with their career, and they don't think they're making enough money, and they're overworked and underpaid, blah, 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 blah. And you just ask them simply, what keeps you there? You know what keeps them there? They keep them there. Security keeps them there. The fear of failing, the fear of trying something new. It chaps my ass because everybody's always afraid of what might not happen and they don't motivate themselves on what could potentially happen. That's what I want to do. I want to motivate people. I want to show people that you are so much more than what you think you can be. So much more. 
Um, maybe, <laughs> I don't even, I can't even say it. And I'm hoping this doesn't sound dickish um, because I'm, I'm really speaking from a, a grateful and humble place. Um, I don't really open up about this stuff too, too often because it can come across wrong. It can come across arrogant, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I, I have family members that I watch work really hard. They're hard workers, but at the end of the day, they're just hard workers. And they still struggle. And it breaks my heart. I have nothing against hard work. But I have every respect for hard work. But we got to be smarter about our hard work. Would you rather work hard for somebody else your whole life? Or would you rather work smart and hard for yourself your whole life? There's a big difference. And the payout is a lot different too. Me and Randy were talking the other day and he says the only thing that hard work gets you, and this is so true, this is so fucking true. He said the only thing that hard work gets you is pride. That's what it gets you. It's the ability to look and tell other people how hard you worked. That's it. That's that's just hard work. That's not smart hard work. That's just hard work. And I grew up around around people that had that same mindset. They're just, oh, you got to work hard. You be a hard worker. And, and you go out there and you you just work hard. And you, you accept. I remember when I was, I was digging um, ditches and picking grass for $6 an hour, picking grass out of sand traps. I mean, I could work anybody in the fucking dirt. I worked. I knew what work was. I'd go out and I'd weed eat ditches on a golf course actually for five thirty five an hour for eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, hoping to get overtime um, in the hot South Carolina sun with triple digit heat. I knew hard work. Hard work is good. Hard work teaches you a lot of things, but at some point you got to realize, look, man, I'm capable of hard work, but I, it, I can, I can also do it with my brain. You can, your brain can work hard for you. But that starts with believing in you. Somewhere along the line in my life, I got away from the the thought process of I'm somebody else's guinea pig. I'm somebody else's hard worker. I'm going to be my own hard worker. And I would love to help people realize their true potential. I don't know how we do that. Like it, it's, it's something I've been sitting on for a long time. But that's kind of, I guess... That's where the cat's out of the bag, all right? I, I, I want to be able to get to that point to where I can help other people realize their true potential. It's not just a mental health thing with me. Yeah, we talk about mental health a lot. I would love to start doing more motivational messages um, and uplifting people and stop talking so much about mental health, mental health, mental health. Yes, it's important. But the belief in yourself is just as important. All right, I got these um I got these events I got to knock out. Today I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. I get in the car, head over to Greenwood, Indiana, where Monday night is more post traumatic purpose with several hundred first responders from that area. And then I end it all this week in uh, Beaver Creek, Ohio on Wednesday. Um 
We'll do that morning. We're doing post-traumatic purpose for three hours. And then that evening is my last comedy event. It's the last comedy show that I'm ever going to do. And I'm so excited. It's comedy has been really cool for me. It's been, it's been one of those things. It's a chapter in the book. It's a, it's just a page in my book. It's not something I needed to do forever. It was a stepping stone to help me. I had a conversation with a gentleman this morning. He asked, he's like, well, dude, when you teach courses, how did you figure out a rhythm and a timing and all this? I said, you know what? I didn't figure it out. It, fig- it, it figured itself out. I said, comedy is what did that for me. Comedy allowed me to be extremely versatile and I, and the versatility of comedy throughout the years and the different stages and the different demographics that I played to around the world, I think helped mold me into becoming the speaker that I am, whatever that is. And it just, it just helped me. So I'm glad I had that, but you see, that's what I'm getting at. It's you don't always have to be what you currently are. You can grow beyond where you currently are and use whatever you've been through in your life or whatever profession you've had. You can use that to establish growth in your life. I meet so many people that tell me they're stuck, man. I'm just stuck. I'm at that. I'm at that point where I'm stuck and I got 15 more years for retirement. And I, and I, I fuck man, it, my cringe when I hear that. Cause I'm like, do you know how long 15 years is? Do you know how many missed opportunities happen in 15 years? Do you know how much life passes you by in 15 years? Cause I've heard people say, you know, when I, when I retire, that's when, that's when I'm going to do the things that I want to do first. My first heavy thought goes to, you may not be alive in 15 years. First of all, second of all, you're, you're going to be 15 years older. And when I'm sitting here looking at a 40 year old, I'm picturing myself looking at a 55 year old. Okay. Now you're 55 and all you've done is this one thing your whole life. And all of a sudden the gavel drops and that career is over. What have you done in the last 15 years to prepare yourself for the things that do interest you and that you want to go do? And if you haven't started working on those things, it doesn't just miraculously happen. I'm telling you, I remember when I was told I could no longer be a firefighter. Fortunately for me, I was already doing stand-up comedy on the side. And I was I was heartbroken that I was no longer a firefighter. That was a huge part of who I was. It defined me. I let it define me. And I tell people now, dude, do not let your career define who you are as a human being because it will be detrimental to your mental health later in life, whether you know it or not. You can say it doesn't define you all you want, but when you don't have it anymore and you have nothing else to really fall back on, I promise you it will define you. So you have to utilize it as a building block and the things that interest you start now, start focusing on them now and figure out how whatever you're, whatever you're involved in now, how that can help you for later. Because that 15 years is going to fly by. I never thought I'd be saying this. I'm a veteran of the Marine Corps for 22 years now. I've been out of the Marines for 22 years. In 22 more years, I'll be 66 years old. And isn't that crazy to think about? And that that happened in a snap of a finger. I think about teaching this course that I teach, Post-Traumatic Purpose. And I think, man, I've already been doing this for years. And it has flown by. But I don't want to be doing this when I'm 66. I can't. Emotionally, physically, I cannot be doing that. So I have to start thinking about how this teaching 
and how comedy and all that is going to come together to help me do something later, something that I'm passionate about, something that I'm happy about. Because every show comes to an end, people. I hope you all are taking care of yourself. I hope you're having good thoughts about yourself. I hope you're telling yourself nice things. I hope somebody in your corner is telling you just how valuable you are. I hope somebody in your corner is helping lift you up on those days when when, when you need a helping hand. I truly believe every single one of us has the potential to do great things. I don't feel like anybody is ever really stuck. I think stuck is a state of mind. I think, I think, um, also I think poor is a state of mind. I think you can always do better. It's just about decisions that you have to make. My friend Jacob Forrest, he's dead now. He got killed in a car wreck. He told me something a long time ago. He goes, man, sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are almost always the same thing. And it's true. The hardest thing and the right thing are almost always the same thing. People don't like making hard decisions. They don't like facing ugly truths. But in order to grow as a human being, you must do that. You must acknowledge that. And you must devise a plan to address that. And if you don't, you'll always be right where you are. I love y'all. Have a good one.